Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the founder of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing artists and creatives working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, for joining, John. No problem. How are you? Good. Good. All right. So uh, for those of you guys who are uh, watching, listening, I have here with me Sean Spitzer. It's Spitzer, correct? Yep. Yep. At uh, Epic Games, master mentor artist. I love that. uh for um for epic games and it's on the is it am i correct it's on the commercial side i remember seeing something where it was like there was the business side that you do a lot of training yeah we we kind of a combo plate because i've had clients where it's uh ranging from pixar to ford motor company to ea games but we focus at least where my department where i where i my main focus is icvfx so in-camera visual effects and virtual Mm. production but oh, um, great. that's not only where I'm at, but yeah, that's a lot of what I teach. Oh man. Okay, good. So uh, we're actually, um, we're buying uh, a building now to put LED walls and do training here in Austin. That is awesome, dude. That yeah, awesome. it's going to be, it's going to be done. Uh, I think we get the building in January or the space in January. Uh-huh. And uh, so we're hoping to have something here by August where we can actually bring our students here uh, to do that. That would be brilliant. Yeah, we just finished our first ICV Effects Fellowship. Um, me and Kevin Miller, one of the other instructors, yeah. we just got through doing that. So all over LinkedIn, everybody's really stoked about it. It went really well. I was a curriculum curriculum lead on it. I can't talk today. Um, I was curriculum lead on it, and uh, we banged that out. And uh, that's only the first tier of three tiers, but uh, it got good reception. And it's it's a hot thing right now with Hollywood. It's like super, super huge. Yeah, I bet. Um, actually, one of my the one of my students that I then worked and helped build our environment program. He is at Happy Mushroom. Nice. Yeah, and then maybe going to Lucas now because I, I don't know what's going on with Happy. Um, so he's on his way somewhere there. And um, so what I want to talk about today, if it's all right with you, I mean, there's a lot of things to talk about with Unreal and stuff like that. Um, but the thing that really kind of connected with me was this idea of being a trainer training on this developing curriculum how that as like that's our job right and um it's this alternate track is you know there's of course production and um and then there's training and i've always just loved the training side myself so yeah um sounds like that's up your alley as well yeah i mean uh geez i started way back in the <laughs> I age myself i way way back in the 90s is when i started working in real time i worked on enter the matrix right for the playstation i was oh, one wow. of the asset creators for that it's way back and uh, a few other companies in between and then i found myself uh teaching i had an outsourcing company where i did outsourcing for games mm-hmm. and i found myself teaching on the side and i loved it i loved everything about it i, I always had this feeling when i was in college because you always get this one professor, right? You always get yeah. this one professor that's like, that's cool. I would love to do that. Or that's a really good teacher. And man, hmm, maybe teaching would be cool. <laughs> and I had this one English teacher, which talked about telling stories. 
And he was just, I don't know, man. He just, the hero's journey, all that, he got me hooked in. And I wanted to eventually, I don't know when or how or how I was going to fit in with my career because I knew I wanted to get into 3D was I wanted to eventually teach. And I found myself there and I, I love it. The nice thing about Epic is not only can we teach, but we can also be part of pipelines. Like mm. we can work on things. Like I just yeah. finished working a little bit on um, Love, Death and Robots season three that's coming out. So I, I got to work on... Um, vaulted halls some of the lighting and some of the shader work there oh, small great. group of amazing talented people i got to work with so but um having a mix being able to do that it, it's teaching is always my in my veins it's just so much fun and the fact that epic games let's just kind of do a bit of both is great but yeah, yeah it's it's great man i had that um that's what you know and that's also like the angle that i think is really important here because you're working for a software company and uh, that, like when I worked at Pixelogic, you know, working at uh, going to ILM, consulting, helping them figure out things for the Kraken back when everybody's trying to figure out how to That's make awesome. displacement maps work, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, you get that. And um, so I'd love to know a little bit more, like, how that actually happened. Like, if somebody comes through and they're listening and, you know, a big part of what I do is train game artists. But, you know, I'm always kind of back in my mind. I'm always looking for, like, who's that teacher, too? Um, how did it segue and, um, and how did it eventually lead to now where you're at Epic? Um, man, that's a really good question. That's like a pageant question, right? The really hard question. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's kind of, it's all good. It's just, I've always wanted to teach college. Like I wanted to go and get my master's eventually. Mm. And I wanted that. That was kind of my goal. It was always in the back of my head because of that one instructor. And, <clears throat> and then I was teaching and it was really convenient too at the time because I had my own business. So I could do my own hours because mm -hmm. that's the big thing about teaching. When you're teaching part-time, it's kind of like, when are you available? How's your schedule this quarter? How's your schedule this semester? And I'd be like, Oh, I have my own business. I could shuffle things around. I can go there. I can go there. And that's yeah. kind of how it, how it worked out with me. Um, and then corporate wise, I was, I was at, before I was at unreal, I was at unity. I was a senior ah. artist. I was a senior artist over there at unity and we were working in marketing and working on some of the, the new things that were developing for the engine. And um, it was either Epic Games or Facebook. Facebook was starting their meta VR and they're looking for a lead artist. Mm -hmm. And uh, both the, the thing about Epic and Facebook is they're really slow in the hiring. And I had interviewed with them and it was like, Six months out, I was a technical director at this other company and I was just waiting and they were just taking forever. And then the opportunity where Epic was like, you're going to be able to teach and learn more about our engine versus Facebook, where it seemed like at that time, they didn't know what they wanted to do, mm -hmm. but they wanted me on board. So I'm like, well, dude, I get to teach, you know, I get to, to, to do that and, and learn, get sharper with my skills. I said, oh, pff, that's an easy one. It's a bucket list company too. I already got mm -hmm. one engine company, right? So I'm going to the next engine company. <laughs> I'm going to get them all. And uh, so I just found myself landing right in there and I was like, wow, this is fantastic. So it's been, mm. it's been awesome ever since. How did it start? So, you know, like my first, my first day on the job was basically fly to ILM and train them and that was it they didn't give me curriculum they didn't do anything they're just like <laughs> that's, that's there you hard. go you know so yeah. what how about you how what's the first couple of, of uh jobs look like man um in the beginning it was kind of a whirlwind uh because it was just the demand was so high to learn unreal for virtual production hmm. 
And even being, even then, because this was 2019, right? Yeah, 2019. Yeah. So yeah, even then it was like huge because a lot of people were exploring like, you know, offline renders and and how to just get things up and going and see pre-visualization faster than they've ever seen before. That was kind of the hook that Unreal was, was pitching. And uh, so it was, they gave me some base structures and I made, I made the curriculum for materials and I made the curriculum for, for lighting. I had, I had some help from some of the solution architects and TAMs at the time, but for the most part, I had built those structures for Unreal. And then no pressure. It's like, here, make this for us, Sean. It's going to go worldwide. I'm like, oh my God. So <laughs> it was kind of thrown in there and it was a whirlwind in the fact that we traveled a lot too. This is before COVID. Mm-hmm. So I would travel every month, sometimes twice a month. I'd be traveling from North Carolina, Vancouver, um, Michigan. Um, oh, um, geez, man. I can't even remember some of them. Uh, London, yeah. all over the place. And uh, Malta just fly. And I, so it was rough because in the beginning I started to get burnt out. It was pretty mm-hmm. hard. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be totally honest. They know this too. This is old hat and everything. And I told them too, I said, dude, I need to, I need a break. But th- that's the cool thing about Epic. They were totally understandable. They're like, it's unlimited time off that we work here. So if wow. I need it, I take it. Um, so it was brilliant on that edge. So it kind of balanced itself out, but it's, yeah, it was kind of like thrown in the fire. It's like, here, make the structure. This is kind of the outline that we normally use for a class. Try to build something from this. Here's this. And then we would just, I would just, our, our matrix of nerds, I would just try to get all the information right. And if I make sure that I'm, cause everything was like new. This is like when Ray Tracy just came to the scene and mm-hmm. this is when something else just came to the scene. And yeah. Hmm. What makes uh, like good curriculum for you, you know, or good class? And um, this is something, I mean, hopefully we can unpack. Cause I don't know how much I can verbalize around this either. Um, but like, I just had probably like the best color theory class like I've ever taught. I'm nice. so proud of it. And, nice, um, nice. but I'm always wondering like, what makes, you know, a great class? How do you structure it? How do you think about it? what kind of resources do you marshal? <laughs> No, it's all good. It's a, it's a, that's a, it's a really good question. Um, software is tricky because it can be pretty boring. It can go boring pretty uh-huh. quickly, even when it's yeah. in, well, I mean, if it has some really great visuals and you're really walking them through it, it's cool, but there's a couple of ways that it can go. One, it can go complete buttonology and they get completely <laughs> lost where you're just going from one button. And I've, I've done that on accident before. Like I get excited yeah. and I start going through the buttons and I wait, sorry, let me dial that back. And then the, uh, I guess the structure for a great class is just basically balancing that where you're going. And I always throw in a little humor. I try to use my humor as much as possible because again, software can get a little boring. I do have, sometimes I riddle my stuff with dad jokes because I can um, but I try to get them in there and cause I try to keep them interested and also try to throw in something new that they maybe not have seen, or that's coming down the pipe, um, on top of things. Cause the excitement's real. It's like palatable when it comes to the engine. And then when we show them something cool that they didn't see before, I mean, I remember one class I taught and it was, um, quick start for uh, virtual production. And mm-hmm. I'd, I'd made this class from the ground up. And in this class, I showed them, and it was funny. It's like the simple things, right? I showed them because when you're used to one software and you go to another one, you can miss those tools that you used to have. I showed them how to do bookmarks in Unreal. 
and, and many of these guys were Maya and they knew how to do bookmarks in Maya, but they didn't know how to do it in Unreal. And just that little simple thing, one guy was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Because he wanted to be able to keep his camera in a certain area and he didn't know how to do that. So it's like when you show them like little nuggets in there that may even be out of the scope of what you're doing. I think that helps out too. Just little quick tips, pro tips, I guess. But I think what makes a good class is just balancing the goals, not getting stuck with buttonology. Put a few jokes in there. Be very personable if you can. And just uh, keep that hook in the mouth to mm. keep them interested. Um, yeah, that's a, one of the comments on on a couple of your videos is just like, get this guy teaching more. You know, he's energetic. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I saw those as old ones. <laughs> yeah. There's a story on the Seagraph one. We were at, there was one when it was all, why are you doing materials like this? It's like when I did yeah. it, I was like, I was so tired and I started building things. <laughs> and I'm like, I realized later, oh, I built that wrong. That was dumb. Um, but there's so many things on those. Yeah. I, I love teaching getting good feedback like that is, is great. That's encouraging for me. It's hard in this day and age of virtual production with zoom. You don't know your audience's reaction uh-huh. and we'll have a class. And then you don't know if it's like, if you reached them or not, but you'll get, they'll fill out a survey and like, Oh, Hey, they like my class. And I'm, I'm, I miss the in-person. So doing this new ICB effects we did, it was in person, um, for half, for like maybe, uh, one third of it was in person, which was great because we got yeah. to get, get a feel for how they're absorbing it. Right. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I teach like entirely online, so it's so hard, but I have a strategy. Um, I learned from this one guy, there was this, um, group called wake up warrior in Laguna beach. And, um, it was all like men training, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was like, uh, our, one of our, events was eating uh, breakfast in the pe- in the push-up position. So, you know, if you got your pancakes <laughs> and you put your syrup on and you got a beard, like you're screwed. Like you just didn't think that went all the way through. So there we are hard work. Anyways, one of the things that they did in class is they would always make you say uh, yes or no. So you'd be like, all right, any questions? And then everybody had to say yes or no. And I just had this class and I have to do that. Cause in this day and age, if you don't, if you're not getting that from them, it's like, it just disappears. You don't even yeah, know who you're yeah. talking to. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think um, like that buttonology, that's a great way to phrase that, man. I love that. I once uh, taught John Knoll, one of the founders of Photoshop. No uh, way. That's awesome. Taught him dude. ZBrush. No way. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. His comment was, I'm not going to remember any of this. <laughs> When it comes to ZBrush, I completely believe. Because <laughs> I was I just did... like, press this, press that, press this. And yeah. he's like, uh, I'm not going to remember this. And I was like, <laughs> but then you press this. <laughs> ZBrush, is, is, ZBrush, if you haven't touched it in a while, you go in. It's like that John Travolta meme where you're like, what? Uh, is there? Way? I forgot where everything's at. Yeah, it's a yeah. powerful tool. But man, if I could just sit down with the interface guys on that and say, look, can we? Guy guy this guy yeah. <laughs> interface guy Look. you gotta get some time with ofer um <laughs> I, I talked to him about it and he said the amount of time it takes to code one ui element versus an entirely brand new feature like dynamesh yeah, yeah. But was lopsided are you serious yeah oh, that's funny. so he could rip out dynamesh faster yeah. than he could actually do a ui element so he was just like there's no there's no trade-off it's wow. it's gonna be dynamesh wow yeah <laughs> That's I did not even know that. 
Yeah, there you go. Um, You know, so why don't we talk about um, like virtual production a little bit and and get your perspective from um, like, what are the essential things that you like to communicate about this? Because everybody like I talk, we're building an LED wall. And um, I've had a couple of interviews with people about this. And one of my trainers uh, does it for a living. It's all everybody has a different definition of virtual production. Um, but what do you think is important for us to know or train on about this? No, that's 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 another uh, um, big question. Um, the, the virtual production can go in several different areas. You got mm-hmm. your pre-production. You got um, even with the real-time aspects of posts that we're bringing in for Unreal. It's all just basically, you know, ver- it, r- it wraps underneath that virtual production. Like ICVFX technically could be r- considered virtual and it is considered virtual production mm-hmm. so um basically you're asking like how to unpack it right is what you're asking like like how well i'm i'm at it? like because so you're looking at this in icv effects um and virtual production but it all has to be used inside this engine yeah right yeah and so what are we learning you know in engine about about the engine i guess to help us unpack virtual production Oh, gotcha. So we, um, we teach several different things. Like one of them, I mean, we, we teach all sorts. So we go from materials all the way to control rig to animation pipelines. We also talk about um, um, doing in display for camera in camera visual effects, getting the, mm-hmm. getting the information from your virtual camera to your physical camera, calibrating that camera, making sure that it's calibrated and equal to a one-to-one with your virtual uh, camera inside of Unreal. Um, we talk about optimization, which is the huge, huge question that people always have about, uh, getting stuff in there. Cause the thing is these people from Hollywood think they can just throw everything at it. Like Maya as much as air, they just render it, but you have to take into account what you're doing, how you're doing it and how much is on screen because end display takes in, you lose some, you lose some, um, like frames you lose, I shouldn't say frames, but you, you get hit on your a frame rate because you're putting things to end display. So if you have a high poly object, there's a high chance if you got a lot of them, and it's optimized what's close to the screen versus what's far away, you are going to get a chug. And you want to always think uh, kind of, um, you want, you always want to think like, Hey, if I'm getting 60, if I'm getting like hundred and something frames or whatever, I'm getting a really good frame rate on my software. You want to cut that at least in half when you go to the camera. So you have to kind of think, um, very strategically with that. And there's a lot there <clears throat> that we, we tackle everything from, uh, I have one company for a while. I think Zoic was it, they were doing, um, previs using unreal, like all doing previs cause they could throw stuff in there. They could rig it. They could do it. And then finally they went to final pixel where they said, Hey, we want to render with unreal and render these. Like, and they did a bunch of stuff for like CWs, um, I forget. It's like the girl, she has like, she has a wand and then there's a big robot. I didn't read those comics when I was growing up. Hmm, um, Star and Banner, Star and Spangled. I forget the name of it, but they did a yeah. bunch of stuff in Unreal with that. But um, <clears throat> it's a lot there and, and every company is going to use it a little bit differently. So we do everything from like, even Niagara, we just started a new series. Sam Dieter, one of my coworkers, started a new series with Niagara and he's going into fluids. I'm doing um, 
I'm doing a new course on stylization that won't be coming out towards the end until the end of the year, mm-hmm. which will show you because we get a lot of requests for final pixel for stylization. So it's everything from like camera, in-camera visual effects to the final pixel, all kind of wrapped in that shell of virtual production and uh, and, and everything from just previs work to actual, hey, I'm going to put an actor in front of a screen, LED wall. Right. So it's kind of like that whole enchilada. Hopefully that answers your question. I'm not sure if that does. Well, let's, uh, let's dive a little bit more in. So if I look at um, Unreal and I'm training that for environment arts, which is one of the things that we do. Uh, of course, there's the material work, right? Um, there's the assembly work, you know, building the modular kit, how you're going to assemble them. That goes into the blueprints, any sort of prefabs, that kind of basic um, development work. Uh, then there's the camera and, you know, lighting. That's a different thing now, man. Um, 4.26, I used to try to get my students to do marmoset. I was just like, just don't. Just, you know go here <laughs> yeah. just don't yeah, yeah, you know yeah. it's gonna look so good yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know now it's looking great um and so you know so then there's the lighting uh learning lumen learning how to um you know tell a story with light so that's like that's the basic that most of us know in terms of the game engine um but now you're talking about things like you're in display you're talking about the um you're talking about the calibrations of cameras you know and so this is like a whole nother area for me um to start that's- to unpack Man, our class, we have a calibration class. Um, Kevin Miller was the guy that we assigned to do it. Mm-hmm. And at first he was all, oh, I see, see if I could get this done in, in one particular class. But as he was unpacking it and getting notes from our other um, um, subject matter experts and we were doing research, it became like three to four classes, like three classes mm-hmm. right now. And it bleeds over into other things because, you know, everything's kind of connected. But uh, it's it's a lot to unpack. So yeah, it's it's a lot, man. Trying to get it to, because um, we use a thing called a Roku markers to make sure everything's just all calibrated correctly. So if we do any kind of lens distortion, there's mm-hmm. a lot of lot of layers to it, and we're trying to make that easier. And with Unreal, we're trying to make it so that you're you can cl- calibrate pretty quickly, and trying to look into possibly automating some of that stuff. So it's evolving. But yeah, man, there's a there's a lot there. What section of the engine is that? Are you getting into blueprints at that point or? No. Uh, well, yeah, there's a little bit. The NDC is is like a blueprint within itself. Mm-hmm. And the um, the NDC is where you're going to set up your, your wall simulation, like you, these little polygon structures that look just like your wall that's mm-hmm. in the real world. And it's basically kind of a marker point to know where your, your camera's looking at in that space. So you'll have it in Unreal sitting there. And then you'll have your camera and in that camera, um, in that whole setup, the NDC is a blueprint where you can actually set up a few things. You can set up your structures, make sure everything's connected correctly. And if you're going to like uh, a thing called a wild wall, you would set up a thing called like multi-user and you would send that information to wild wall. And a wild wall is like in Hollywood. I make sure I know I, I'm explaining a lot. I make sure I, I explain it when I say it, because otherwise it's confusing other people. The mm. wild wall you would use in an LED environment as a uh, a GI, your global illumination bounce, and you can actually move that wild wall around on actor and make it look like there's they're getting light from the environment. And you would actually build that geometry in Unreal, and then you would have this this g- virtual camera which is now linked, calibrated, and connected to your physical camera in the real world. So when I move that physical camera, you're going to see that output in your virtual world, and you're going to see things uh, 
connect to each other. It's actually pretty sweet. Wow. <clears throat> so you do you have trackers on the wild wall? So that yes. if that moves? Oh. Yes. So that wild okay. wall's got trackers on it, which is pretty great. And we have this, we have the tracker on the camera too. It's called Sputnik. <laughs> so it looks like it looks like Sputnik. It's on top of the camera and allows us yeah. to track that camera to get that real time feedback. That's crazy. I have to demonstrate it when I do it because otherwise, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's a good look. Um, and so I was in the um, virtual production for uh, educators summit. Uh, I nice. think Tom did that and in, in a couple of other people. And man, Shannon. You know, yes. And his demo was like, it was. I, I love it. Like you can see all the logic fit, right? Cause it started with that grid. He's great. It, yeah. What's the system called? Is the grid or when you're building from the Minecraft? I didn't see his lectures. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure. What I got to look. There's that new modeling tool where you're inside of unreal. You just, you know, you're building like Minecraft. You just kind of pull out these boxes. Oh, Oh, it's like, uh, it's like he's doing a, uh, like procedural modeling, right? Right. Kind of, you know, but yeah, you're just yeah. like pulling these out. So anyways, um, I was, uh, you know, watching that and, you know, I was like, okay, this is exciting. This is great. I'm watching Tom. And then somebody, oh, it was Tom, I think again, started breaking down the hardware. And I was like, okay, I committed to building this wall in Austin. And then now I'm looking at this and like one middle of the screen, hundred thousand dollars for this one control cart. And I'm like, huh? Well, how many of those things do you need? <laughs> like our, our, um, when he said control cart, what kind of cart was like, is he? It, it, it was like a Mac and there was a bunch of stuff in it. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So it was yeah. like, it was in the cart was included with all the hardware, like basically yeah. all the frosting on top of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Ours, a cart empty. Like those carts are pretty expensive by themselves, like a cart oh. empty with nothing on it. But because we use these physical carts, we have two labs. We have one mm -hmm. called the Latte, which yes. is we, we call it the Latte Lab, which is our uh, is our L.A. training and tactical education or something like that. And then yep. we have the um, L.A. Lab, research lab. But we use these big carts are five thousand bucks to six thousand bucks a piece. These carts without any computer stuff on top of it. And, wow. uh, yeah, it, it can get, it can get pretty pricey. I didn't realize they were so expensive until I started going to buy them and I'm like, oof. so I had to, I had to pace it. <laughs> we got one <laughs> at the latte, latte lab. It can add up really quickly. Like <clears throat> our facility is like, it's close to like probably $800,000 to close to a million. I would say a cool millions in there right now of just for equipment. that, for that lot. And that, does that include the LIDAR as well? Um, well, what we have, what we have in there is, yeah, I think that does include that. Yeah, I'm trying to remember everything we have. Sorry, um, what do we have in there? OptiTrack. Yeah, it's it, the whole enchilada is definitely in that that price tag. It's pretty expensive. Okay. So the latte for those, um, so people know what we're talking about. There's like a particular um, uh, LED wall virtual production setup you guys have. Um, I think I, I saw like three or three different ones and this one's designed particularly for small studios, possibly even education, right? Yeah. The one and, latte. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, our small okay. education space. We're eventually going to build out in about a year. We're going to have another one bigger Okay. Uh, near Nat. So we're going to be next to the Nat studios over there. Can I have your latte one? 
<laughs> You'll have to talk to Lux on that one. <laughs> uh, all right. We okay, have an so, agreement with these guys. They're pretty great. They've been super helpful. Okay. So um, this is actually an eight foot by eight foot wall, one eight foot by eight foot wall um, with another eight foot by eight foot wall kind of at a, I don't know, like a 60 degree angle. Is that what I saw? Yeah. It's something, it's basically, it's basically like an owl. So it's got the, okay. it's got like a smaller version, a larger, I can't remember the measurements right offhand, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a decent size. It allows us to do some stuff. So if we need to do some testing, filming, we cannot do there because that requires a, uh, a, 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 a permit for that. Hollywood is very particular about that, whether oh. you're filming or you're not filming. So we just, okay. we, we had to talk to the, uh, all the, the powers that be about that were like, okay, no, we're just doing education. Oh, okay, that's good. Otherwise, you got to get a permit. For They're really particular. But when we move, we're going to be able to do our own shorts, which I'm really looking forward to. So we can do our own ICV effects shorts and, and maybe yeah. do some tests and have some fun. Um, but for this one, yeah, strictly education right now. And that's about, right. the, that's about the size of it. So for that setup, just so I have some clarity, so that's like, uh, there's two walls. I think there was a third wall or there was like a large TV. I can't remember. Yeah, it's a large TV. We made a okay. makeshift wild wall. You don't normally do it that way. You yeah. literally have another set of panels. Yeah. But we got our hands on one of our LED walls in the classroom, our LED TVs, and we put it and made it a wild wall. The only problem is it's not as bright as we want it to be because we'd uh, want to kind of to be a little brighter for that bounce, exaggerate that bounce. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we made a makeshift wild wall. I liked that. I was like, oh, that TV is probably not that expensive because I know those LEDs are, it's a chunk. Yeah, so they're really you, expensive. You've got your walls. Um, you've got the main computer. Um, but I mean, all those panels, is it, how many computers are processing in between that? Oh, excellent um, question. In, um, if, so typically you'll have three. So one was okay. going to be control. Yeah. And then you have one that's a render. Now, this is for our particular system. Um, and most systems are going to have this, but they'll normally have those systems in another room. We have them in our carts right here. And the reason why they would have another room is they can switch to any station that needs to have control of it. Ours yeah. typically is just we have control, we have a renderer, and then we also have a multipurpose. The renderer is the one that renders stuff and sends it to the wall from control. We can send that information using a thing called Unreal, our listeners. And they will listen to each other and find out what's going on. And, and it sends it switch, to all, all of the screens, right? Yeah, sends it to all yeah. the screens. And multipurpose is going to be for whatever wild wall we have going on. So we send that information out, goes to the renderer, goes to multipurpose, and all goes onto the LED wall. <clears throat> Both of those then connect to control. Yeah, so control is talking to them exactly. So control is talking to the renderer and to the multipurpose, and you can that's where you send it. Control is where you send that information out using Switchboard, Unreal Switchboard. And does somebody have to be there and manage this operation? Like sit there at control? Do they have to sit at render or? Yeah, well, they don't have to sit at render. You can let render do its job as long as it's has a listener on and has the same project information on it. Like you say, you're using Perforce. And then multi-user, same thing. Just make sure it has the same project. But you just literally can sit in control and just send your data out there and get going as long as you have everything set up so it goes smoothly. That's that multi-user system in Unreal, right? Yeah. So that multi-user allows us to have the wild wall to be able to use and send things to a wild wall to get that bounce. 
I love it. Why is it called the wild wall? Um, How'd that happen? I don't know. Honestly, that's just something, I guess, a Hollywood term that just came up where it's wild. It does whatever it wants and you can move it wherever you want it to put it <laughs> for the extra bounce for the extra believability. Yeah. So now you have seen the future, man. Where does it go? Like, yeah. what is going on? This is a uh, epic is bought like, I don't know how much of my infrastructure like art station this that where, where's the rest of this going um, i honestly couldn't tell you really to be honest with you <laughs> um we basically we want to get a community of people who are empowered to do great and be creative do creative things and do creative amazing stuff and, and that's always been tim sweeney's goal to really empower people to keep information free on the level of being able to create and, and power to the creators. Mm -hmm. um, and that's all kind of also connected to like the metaverse stuff, which our Fortnite has kind of been the pioneer and the front end for metaverse type of creation and, and, and make people have people get connected. And we even have things like, so you have to clear my throat one second. Mm -hmm. Um, we even have things like in Fortnite where we have shorts, animated shorts, animated short night, and people will watch and sit and watch a film that's there in, in Fortnite. So it's really where it goes from here is I think it's just going to get better and better to make things in 3D that look more and more realistic and have more and more of a, an appeal and a faster workflow to be able to just not just uh, play games in Fortnite, but also to make your own film to make uh, to work with us, even a small group and make great things. Um, a lot of the people coming out of the fellowship, when we had the fellowship, they, some of these people made these amazing shorts and they did it by themselves. Yeah. You know, and that's like the really powerful piece and uh, thing about uh, Unreal Engine. It is just amazing. It's fantastic. Well, it kind of opens up the door to, um, you know, what do artists today need to be thinking about and focused on? Because um, you mentioned you were getting your start in the 90s, right? And in games, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, I remember there was a friend I was talking to who wanted to get me into games. And I was like, no, I want to draw like, you know, Michelangelo. So I went to the East Coast and he stayed in L.A. And he's like, all you got to do is be able to draw and they'll hire you. You know, just yeah. get in there. They just need warm bodies that want to learn the software. That's and, that's how I got hired. That's so funny. Can, yeah, that's great. So, you know, back then and even up to this point, it's like a lot of what we've been doing is just learning how to, you know, service the machine. But it almost seems like the machine's now coming back around to service us. And what do we do? So you mean, you mean like uh the fact that it's getting easier, better, stronger to build your stuff. Like, you know, yeah. Oh man. All I can say is dive in, dive in and learn as much as you can. Um, I, I won't lie. Unreal's got a pretty nasty learning curve. If you're unfamiliar with it, it's just like Maya, but any software starting out is like blender. Me and my buddy were complaining about blender the other day. I love blender. Blender's great, but blender does things so different than what I'm used to. It's like me trying to jump into Houdini again. And I haven't touched Houdini in years. And it's just some softwares just have a different angle and process that you got to somehow, once you get over the hump, right. things get a little bit, a bit easier. <clears throat> and Unreal is the same way. You know, once you just get over that initial, I got to say out of all the three softwares, 
Unreal is pretty easy to learn in, in, in respect to um, other ones that I've seen, which could be a little bit harder. Um, but yeah, you know, it just dive in, learn as much as you can, because it's, it's only going to get better and better and better and better. Making worlds is, is easier than it's ever been with mega scans and just building and assembling your stuff quickly. And it's, it's pretty amazing. Like Lumen is only going to get better and better. So where do we start? Um, like I would if say, you were, yeah. if you were designing curriculum, which you do, um, yeah. where would somebody start if they wanted to pick this thing up? We have a community at Unreal mm -hmm. and um, we have a new community hub where you can actually go in there and you can find some of our beginning classes and not just the ones that we offered when we had Unreal Online Learning but also even newer ones that people have made community-wise and we've approved, they put a stamp of approval on there. Right. And they can all dive into there and really get a feel to understand how the software works. And I think really just comes down to what do you want to focus on too? Some mm -hmm. people may want to focus on Niagara and effects, all power to you because that's going to get better and better. Some people may, they come from an animation background learn an animation unreal decide if you want to grow in that area and get better and better with it and then same thing like for environment art or you know, maybe you want to do uh <clears throat> lighting whatever it might be well let's uh let's say um i'm somebody that um i learned about 3d because this dude made 69 million dollars selling 3d art so then i was like oh i can do this Right. So we all know the timeline. That's like two years ago. People doing that amazing uh, job. So now I'm new to 3D. I don't know animation. I don't know this pro language, um, but I know Unreal is doing so much. Um, where would I start? So I got the community hub, like definitely. And what's the, do you remember the URL for the community hub? I forget. Uh, let me, yeah, let me pull my, I, I get it mixed up too, because <laughs> it's really brand new. Well, there's so much community work that Epic is doing too. It's yeah, blows my lot. mind. I was trying to find an event the other day and then I couldn't find the place for where the event was hosted. I was like in some other entire event space where other cool stuff was happening. It's all good. I could put it in the chat for you. Yeah, that's great. It's like the learning resources. Let me see here. There we go. So you can choose whether it's games or whether it's, um, this is a games one. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and some of our mega grants, uh, people who are doing uh, training and stuff here, I put it in the chat. And um, dev.epicgames slash community. Yeah. And that one has games. And if you go to this website, it'll, allow you to choose whether you want to learn games or film and gives you quick links. So this is the, just the online us learn. It's like slash learn unreal. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I forgot Epic bot sketch fab too. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. There's even a film and TV. So if I clicked on that film and TV link, takes you into the same thing there. It's actually the same. Like, so I'm not even going to bother giving you the link because give me a general link. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can filter. So it takes you to the area where you can filter what you want. And that's Perfect. a really good place to start. It really is because these are my colleagues, people who 
We all work at Epic Games. We're, we're saturated in the content. It's a great place to get started. Um, right. But when I look at this, I'm like, I don't even know where to start. So no, there is Niagara you. and then there's, <clears throat> there's uh, Windbush with the MIDI. And I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, w- I would, I would definitely, I'm predicting, I'm trying to predict what you're going to ask. I would yeah. definitely say um, like your first hour in Unreal. Yeah. Those are actually really good. We had a series of those called first hour in Unreal. Um, getting familiar, like um, materials, understanding materials, because there's a really big part of your building process. Mm-hmm. And then from there you can go to lighting. And then from there you can go to like uh, looking at like um, animation go from there you can start looking at if you want to get into more final pixel you can look at um you know what's a good way to optimize your stuff you know optimization is huge i would definitely it should always be sprinkled in there and we always try to do that but for the most part just you know i would your first hour in unreal is a really great one we had for a while there yeah i've I've went through that so your first hour in unreal engine four uh or no sorry five sorry um okay perfect that's gonna help um get people sort of what do you mean by optimization though because um are we talking about the optimization of meshes textures atlases, or the whole nine yards so how to optimize things according to what you want to do now if you're building a game optimization is different than if you're building a film if you're doing final pixel your optimization is going to be in other words you're building a um We'll say you're building a film versus ICVFX. That optimization yeah. is going to be different. What, what so, is different if you can unpack? No, that. it's all good. Um, in film, it's whatever your camera's pointed at. You mm-hmm. want to get the best, highest visuals. Mm-hmm. So, and it's going to be different than in a game because in a game, it's basically wherever your character roams. So right. you need to optimize based on what he's looking at and keep things consistent. And if it's an autofocal point you throw it out. Like, in other words, you don't make it as high poly. You don't, if it isn't something he has to look at, to pick up, to analyze, whatever, for a game, that's going to be completely different if you have a film. And when you have a film, final pixel, you can do it shot by shot. This is a great shot. This is what I want. I'm going to have to try to have high polys here, stuff in the background. I don't have to have as high a poly. And you can do the same thing in games, just depending whether you can eventually go there or not and where your focal points are at. So focal points are huge between those three. What is your camera looking at and what are you doing? <clears throat> Having a game plan going in in the very beginning is very important. In ICV effects, it's typically a lot of times the camera is just going to be static. It's going to be right there. So everything in the background could even be a thing called imposters, which we made a while back, which are basically just a camera, <clears throat> like a render of, a, of an object that looks like it's 3D, but it's not. It's just sitting in the background. So you can do stuff like that. Um, but it's all basically just analyzing what you want, what your final shot is. Is there interaction? Is there not interaction? Is your camera traveling over a train or is your train in the background? All that stuff needs to be calculated according to what your LODs, level of detail, what your texture resolution is going to be, and whether what your poly counts are going to be. Perfect. I understand that. And uh, so this is basically game, like, correct me if I'm wrong, this is learning how to use game art pipelines, but tailored for you know yeah yeah i mean your usage definitely can think of it that way because you know obviously we're working with a game engine right right so you got to follow those game rules in a way but then again you know if you have final pixel you're not too worried about your frame rate like if i'm using ray tracing for my final render i don't care about my 
I, I can I can turn all my textures off. I can turn ray tracing off. See, my animation looks great. Do a quick test render of single frames, but I don't have to worry about where the ray trace is slowing my stuff down if I'm just going to render in the final output. That still blows my mind, you know, because it's a game engine. So used to thinking about prepping my people for for frame rate, but there's an offline renderer. Yeah, yeah. So you can, if you're going to do a film, it's perfect. And I've had that in many conversations with, like in the fellowship, we're like, I go, do, do, your final output is going to be, like a lot of them loved ray trace. They want to use ray trace. And I said, cool. You don't mind if your camera's a little chuggy because you have really complicated, you have really complicated scene. They're like, I don't care. I just want to render. I can just do a test render. If it looks good, I'll render out the door. And we get clients like that. They go, I don't care about your frame rate because I'm going to do a final, we're doing a film. I don't care. We just want the final thing to look great. <laughs> said, okay. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of can mess with your head too, because I mean, I come from a games background, but I'm always co constantly thinking about is my camera. Why is my camera junky? I got to fix that. But in the case of our clients, when they don't require that, it's not an issue. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and that's what you call final pixel. They call it's just generally called final yeah. pixel. Yeah. All right. That makes a ton of sense. Um, stylized. You said you get a lot of questions about that. Yeah, that's been popping um, up a lot recently. I wonder why. Like, I think a lot of I think a lot of people kind of want to start doing their own TV shows, mm -hmm. and they kind of want to do their own films, and they want to get like the Pixar look or what have you. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of them are exploring that. They want to know how to do the materials, how to how to how to how to just mine that environment. I remember one of my mentors one time telling me, worked on the Lego uh, movie, and he's telling me how there's like hundreds of layers of noise on those Lego characters. And, you know, how much depth went into making them look, you know, so simple. That's awesome. <laughs> pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, Unreal's got a pretty powerful material system. Yeah, very powerful. Um. And I'm the class that I want to teach is going to be like, oh, geez, it's several layers. I'm thinking of turning it into two classes mm. because I want to show them how to do stylized fog. We get like different layers of color in your fog. Yes. Like yeah. I've seen Firewatch um, did some of that. That's great. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they use that other engine. But <laughs> I, have sh I have, this is my shame face. <laughs> That's all good. I'm just joking. And uh, I want to show them how to do that with materials. I want to show them how to do it with post-process volumes. And then I want to show them, uh, Mike Neely, one of my coworkers at Epic, made this really great breakdown. It's actually on that hub I share with you mm -hmm. about how to do stylized um, materials and do HL, SL. So he was doing a little bit of uh, programming with that and programming What's, the shaders. Uh, which HL? HLSL. Let me see if yeah. I can find his link. He gave it to me. And I can probably give you a direct link to it. He just gave it to me the other day. <clears throat> There's so much content you guys have here. I know. It's crazy. I haven't had time to populate my, because I'm in there. I just haven't populated mine with any tutorials or tips and tricks. I'm just too busy. But that's the, I just put it in the chat. That's my colleague's breakdown for creating stylization. Um, so I'm trying to see, where's it at? Where's the rest of it at? Oh yeah, he has research, design, the topics are on the right. Yep. And uh, he did a great job with this. 
Um, and yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to try to incorporate some of the stuff that he did in my course. I just got to, I didn't even looked at HLSL stuff in so long. I don't even, I'd have to beef up on that. Too. That's basically uh, what you, what the language or system you would use to be able to program your shaders. Hmm. What do people misunderstand or, or not get about Unreal's materials? Because they're not, I mean, they're kind of like other systems. It's a little like Blender. It's nodal. Yeah. But but then you have inside the Epic, uh, inside the Unreal, you've got actually like blueprints. You can add inside materials, if I remember right. Or there's this, um, you turn a material in and I can even remember right now, it was something John created a, a while ago. But um, what do people just not realize about materials that adds power? Um, that you can customize the crap out of them. That yeah. you can build anything that you can possibly imagine you can build. Whether you're doing stuff for Fernal Index and you can say, hey, I want to make my own ink line on the outside without using uh -huh. post-process volume. Or whether you want to do a depth fade, you can do a depth fade. You can do a pixel offset. If you want movement on your material in some way, there's all sorts of crazy stuff you can do. Subsurface to, uh, you can even make the simplest material look like it's complex. So that's the nice thing about Unreal. You can fake it till you make it. So if yeah. something doesn't, something's, because uh, materials are heavy, they will take a, I mean, especially if you're using like translucent, but if you can fake a few things and Unreal gives you tools to fake visuals with your material. So you can make a really complicated one and you can make almost a copy that is a dumbed down version of that material. And that's the really nice thing about that. You can find ways around back doors and tricks and tips and tricks using the nodes. You can make some amazing things like super fast. And make yeah, it so you can switch them on and off too. So like, hey, I need this dumbed down, switch it dumbed down. I can make it complicated, switch it back. Hmm. That's part of the optimization. Yeah, yeah. So uh, last question I got for you. My friend, and then, um, I'll let you get on about no your problem. day. Um, if I wanted to work at Epic, which I have students who want to work at Epic, and you said they're slow to hire. <laughs> yeah. uh, any advice? Out. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> any advice for what um, somebody really should be putting in their portfolio, having on their resume yeah, yeah. Um, to help them? Um. I would say make sure you put in your latest work and your rel your, your the most relevant work that you have. Mm -hmm. um, try not to, and I've made this mistake when I was like before I got hired at Unity. I applied as two years before I, I got hired at Unity. I ended up being an art director for this one company, but before even before that, I was putting stuff in my portfolio and I didn't realize it was outdated because I thought it was cool and looked neat. And then I got feedback from a company that said. Ah, Sean, you, you stuff's cool, but we don't see any PBR. We don't mm -hmm. see physically based up-to-date material renders in here. We don't see that. We don't see, we don't see that. We don't see higher poly modeling. And I was like, oh crap. It's like my old habits that I did bled through. Right. So, and also you also, wherever you're applying for, position. We'll, we'll, we'll keep it epic. I was going to say anywhere, but we'll keep it epic. If you're applying for epic, make sure you know what it is you're going for. In other words, if you're doing a Fortnite, you want to do Fortnite stuff and you want to work in that vein, you want to make sure you have stylization. You have that stylization look in there. You're catering to that role. And uh, you know, if it's, if you want to be a tech artist, you have a lot of blueprints that you've created. 
that you've had, hey, I, I worked with Niagara and I broke this down. I wrote some shaders. I did HLSL coding and I made some shaders. You want to put that in your portfolio. Mm-hmm. So you got to be very um, deterministic and very, really strategic in what you want to do. Determine what it is that you want to focus on. And then if you see the job. Now, <clears throat> as much as that might be like, well, Sean, isn't that pigeonholed? Isn't that just so laser focused that I'll miss another opportunity? No, actually, it's a good exercise. And if you do see a position, you do get there and you get looked at and maybe they even pass on you. There's going to be another company because you did it with Unreal that's going to like that. And they're going to look at you, seriously take a look at your skills and what you've created. Great. Yeah, that's great. We talk a lot about um, finding a North Star, you know, and not going to Naughty Dog with a Blizzard portfolio or vice versa. Yeah, no, totally. It's easy to do that too. So I remember one company, so many stories, one company I applied for and my stuff wasn't what they were looking for. It wasn't like either realistic or uh, yeah, it's uh, that's completely a good way to to steer them there because it's easy to do that. It really is. Yeah. You know what you're comfortable with. You don't want to try to sell yourself in a uh, area that you say realism. I'm not. I'll be honest with you. I'm not really great with realism. I'll try realism, and it looks stylized. Though. So I've always found myself because I started as a cartoonist. I mean, I mm-hmm. that's when I was in college. I learned how to do cartoons and. I'm still to this day, I, I still like when I draw comic books, you know, and it's, yeah, you, you got to kind of stick with what you're strong with. Cause if you really want to do realistic, if you really want to go that route, practice, get it right ahead of time. Cause I tried many times. Hey, I can do realism, show them my stuff still looks stylized, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, ah, and that's the feedback I got was, this is great. This is great. Not realistic. Mm. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, Sean, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. Great talking to you. I'm yeah, a big fan care. of you, man. I didn't tell you that in the beginning. Big <laughs> fan. I've been following your stuff for a long time. I love your, uh, your ZBrush packs that you used to give out and stuff. Great. great thanks. I appreciate that, man. All right. Take care. All right, dude. Talk to you later. Bye. See you. Bye. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com. To learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.